The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. What an awesome, awesome worship service. Amen. Sometimes I just get so lost in the worship, like I don't want it to end. You know, I've said that before, but I'm serious. Like I wish we could just come here and worship all day and, you know, uh, but, you know, that's not the way we do it. But uh, but I would love to do that. Anyways, open your books, uh, your Bibles, I'm sorry, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. If you have a Bible with you or an iPad or your phone, however you want to look that up. Acts chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to be continuing on from where Daniel left off last week. You know, as I was studying this scripture all week and kind of trying to think through, you know, what, what God wants to say through his word, right? I mean, obviously, we can read God's word and know what God wants us to know. But how do we interpret, you know, what he wants us to look at in today's society? And the more I look at society as a whole. And the more I look at this world, I, I kind of begin to notice like there's this one theme, right, that the world has going for it right now. It becomes more obvious to me every day that I'm alive uh, that there is less understanding of who God is and what he's about. Like even before the pandemic and before all the craziness going on in our country, you know, other countries have been suffering through all kinds of things all kinds of tragedies and all kinds of thought processes that lead them away from knowing who the one true God is. And I noticed this kind of, not a trend, but in society in general, we've lost this idea or this focus of who God is and what he's about, right? That this creator who created us, we just, we've lost that. From the very conception of Christianity, there have been people who have been working diligently and hard uh, to, to remove the glory from God and to place the glory on to mankind. Think about it for a second, that as you come up learning in school about, let's say, evolution, and evolution is all about removing the glory from God and his intelligent design to saying that there's this science behind it all and we didn't need God anymore. And, and, and this thought process of, have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm just spiritual. I'm not very religious or I don't follow any kind of religion. I'm, I'm spiritual. And it's like, well, what does that even mean, right? But that is someone trying to take ownership of their spirit and continue on with it without God being the structure. And the Apostle Paul actually wrote about this over 2,000 years ago in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 25. He says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator. Think about that for a second. They worship and serve the created being rather than the creator of the being, right? And, he, and this was over 2,000 years ago. Paul was seeing this. It was clear to him that there was this mishap, that there was this misstep, that people didn't get it, that there, there was a creator who created everything. And instead of worshiping that creator, people are now worshiping what was created, which is lesser. And it's because of this idea that we want to run our own lives. We want to be responsible for what we do, right? If I do something good, I want to take the credit for it, Okay. I want the glory if I do something good. I want to take the credit for it, but that's not the way God works. God deserves the glory. God deserves the credit. Would you agree with that? Amen? Earlier this year, when talking about the progress of combating COVID-19, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said this, and I quote, God did not do that. Faith did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. That's how it works. It's math. I'm not trying to get political this morning, I promise you, but Governor Cuomo was, creating, was, was crediting mankind and purposely leaving God out of the equation. Now, I'm not here to argue this morning that, you know, 
whatever happened in New York, you know, wasn't because of God or, or was because of God or was because of the governor. That's not my point here this morning. The point I'm trying to make is he obviously has purposely left God out of the equation because he credits them for doing the work. And that is a mindset that is behind that. That there's no need for God in this situation. We've got it handled. Does that make sense? Like I said, and I'm not getting political and I don't care what New York is or how they work. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is his thought process is there's no need for God. It's okay. We can handle it. There's no need for God in this situation. I want you to think on this phrase for just a moment. Think on this phrase. God is dead and we have killed him. God is dead and we have killed him. This phrase comes from the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche was an atheist, although his father was a pastor, and he himself studied theology to, on the road to become a minister before he lost his faith. Sometime after that, he pins this uh, work, this book called The Gay Science, and it's got all these interesting and fascinating and sometimes confusing things that are being said through the whole thing. But he, he writes this little part that is called The Madman. And I want to read it for you this morning. It's kind of long, so please pay attention. Nietzsche in his writing says, Have you heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran into the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then, he provoked much laughter. Has he got lost, asked one. Did he lose his way like a child, asked another. Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage, immigrated? Thus they yelled and laughed. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God, he asked. I will tell you, we have killed him, you and I. All of us are his murderers, but how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us this sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? Has it not become colder? Is not night continually closing in on us? Do we not need the light to light lanterns in the morning? Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the grave diggers who were burying God? Do we smell nothing as of yet of the divine decomposition? God's to decompose. God is dead. God remains dead and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives? Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there to clean us? What festivals or of atonement, what sacred game shall we invent? Is not the greatest of the deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed, and whoever is born after us, uh, for the sake of this deed, he will belong to a higher history than all history hitherto. Here the madman fell silent and listeners, and they too were silent and stared at him in astonishment. At last he threw his lantern on the ground and he broke it into pieces and went out. I have come too early, he said then. My time is not yet. This tremendous event is still on its way, still wandering. It has yet to reach the ears of men. Lightning and thunder require time. The light of stars require time. Deeds, though done, still require time to be seen and heard. This deed is still more distant from them than the most distant stars, and yet they have done it themselves. Frederick Nietzsche, 1882. Nietzsche would suffer a psychotic breakdown in 1889, and he would die 11 years later in his psychotic state, an atheist, hell-bent against God. Nietzsche's statement, although bold and maybe somewhat sacrilegious, has a powerful and telling revelation of man and his nature to reject who God is. God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him, said Nietzsche. However, I think another statement that he says is more telling to me. He says in the same breath, is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? 
must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? Nietzsche argued that the world no longer needed a god or religious structure because of philosophy and science. You see, Nietzsche was raised in the Enlightenment era, that they were coming out with all the sciences and all the philosophy, and they were coming to these conclusions that we no longer needed the fantasy world of religion or Christianity or faith because we now have the facts. We have the facts of science. We have the facts of philosophy with Plato and Aristotle and all these philosophers who are questioning the mind. And they said, now that we can have all these questions and now that some of them are answered through science, we no longer need a God. That's the writing for the madman. He's saying God is dead and we have killed him because we no longer have need for him. And Nietzsche was happy about that. He's, he's not arguing against it. He's happy about it, but Nietzsche also understood the weight that came with the death of God in man's eyes and in their hearts. When we take God out of the equation, we must along with it take the statutes and morals that God has established. When we take God out of the equation, we don't get to keep his morals and his statutes. We have to make our own because God established those. God created those. I got this corny little story, a joke I tell. Laugh at it, please, because it's not funny. But (laughs) there's this scientist, right? And he's he's figured some things out, and and he knows a lot, and he's looking at humanity and saying, boy, I could have done a better job than this. Like, look at this. This is crazy. There's murders, and, and there's all this stuff going on that's crazy. And the scientist says, I could do a better job. And so he comes to God, and he challenges God. He says, God, I challenge you to a, uh, I'm, I'm going to make another humanity and then you make one from scratch and we'll see who's comes out best. He had all the information. So God agrees. He obliges. He says, okay. He says, you go first then. You're the challenger. And so the scientist says, all right. And he goes and he picks up some dirt and God says, oh, oh, oh you get your own dirt. <laughs> you got to laugh at it. <laughs> so, but do you get it though? It's like, we, we can't, as being the creation, act as if now we can be in charge of ourselves because we're not the creator. And Nietzsche understood the weight of this, yet he chose to defy God and say, we have it handled, we have it figured out. And we cannot take the credit and give ourselves glory being the created and not the creator. It doesn't work that way. Herod in the Bible found this out the hard way. Acts chapter 12, verse 20 through 25. Acts chapter 12. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. At once, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God spread and multiplied. I'm so glad that I live in a time that is somewhat different than this. (laughs) You remember earlier in Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, who were supposed Christians, had come and had lied to the Holy Spirit, and God was like, boom, dead. Just just get out of here. And here's here's Herod, and he's like giving this speech and doesn't give glory to God, and God's like, boom, dead. Sorry, you're not going to do that on my time. Oh, how I wish. No, I'm joking. Okay, so, so here's Herod. And, uh, and if you remember from last week, Herod was a bad dude. Herod was the guy who had James the apostle killed. This was one of the very first apostles to die a martyr, right? He was one of the 12. He was one of the, the important ones. He died. And then as we learned last week from Daniel, Herod throws Peter in jail, trying to kill Peter as well. But that didn't turn out so good for them that day, right? It ended up with a whole lot of jailers being killed instead. And so this is the same Herod we're talking about, right? History remembers Herod. Herod is a very vile man. He not only had people killed at will, but he used his power to manipulate certain situations for his advancement. This is who Herod was. Key in point, 
This is when Tyre and Sidon are having trouble with him. This is what the Bible says. But historical records show that Herod, trying to force his will on the people of Tyre and Sidon, withheld food sources for them. There's a little bit of backstory that Luke doesn't give us, but historically it's accurate. He basically controlled all of the trade for food goods for that area and that region of Tyre and Sidon. And uh, he had cut off their supplies in the middle of a famine. So we read in the Bible earlier in, the, uh, in Acts that there was this great famine throughout the land, and here's Herod, he's thinking his big stuff, right? And he's got this beef with Tyre and Sidon, and then he says, well, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to cut the trade. I'm going to cut the food source to you, and you can just starve to death. And they had to appeal to him, right? They had to appeal. They actually got to him through one of his people, uh, this guy who was in charge of his harem, Blastus, right? Look at what verse 20 says. Together, this is Tyre and Sidon, their leaders. Together, they presented themselves before him after winning over Blastus, right? So they, 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 they told this guy, Blastus, hey, please talk to the king for us. And he did who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So here's Herod, and he's a very difficult king to work with, obviously, and he shows a little grace and a little mercy. Tyre and Sidon come, and they speak to Blastus and win him over. Blastus goes and talks to Herod, and Herod uh, decides to oblige. However, he decides in his fashion to be this great king and give this grandiose speech right while all of the people are there gathered together josephus a jewish historian uh jewish roman historian writes this about the incident uh, in the life of herod right josephus goes into more detail josephus says that when herod had come and was having this beef with tyre and sidon that it, it was like a real drastic thing like people were going to starve they had no food and they came pleading to blast us please talk to herod for us and so then herod says yeah, i'm going to give them a little mercy i'm going to and 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 and, uh, and and he says that uh, josephus says that herod was this arrogant man he was this arrogant man who wanted to look good in front of other officials and kings and so to have a little bit of mercy mercy and grace. He says, I'll, I'll throw some scraps their way and I'll give them some food. And there was this festival going on, Josephus says, right around that time. And Herod says, you know, I'm going to speak to the people, to my people, my constituents. I'm going to speak to them at this festival. And he gets on this robe, it says, uh, or Josephus uh, re, uh, recounts that he puts on this robe and it is like a silver glimmering robe, almost like you would think of tinfoil. This is his robe, this royal robe he puts on like tinfoil. It's shining bright and glimmering. And then he says, you know, I want to come out at dawn because when the sun's coming up just right in the amphitheater, it's going to hit my robe. This is all Herod. And it's going to shine bright and everybody's going to know who I am. And then Josephus writes, that as, as Herod comes out and as this light shines on him, the people are going wild. They're just in love with Herod. And, and, and Josephus says that they were chanting even more things, that this is an immortal, it's not a mortal, it's not a mere mortal. And then Luke says, this is the voice of a, of a God and not of a man. And instantly, Josephus writes that Herod sees this owl and he knows it to be a bad omen, this owl because apparently he had a good omen come from an owl, and now he sees this owl. Mind you, Josephus is not a Christian. Josephus has nothing to do with Christianity. He's only a historian writing down what he has seen, just like Luke. And so uh, he says Herod sees this owl, and he knows at that moment that he was wrong. He knows at that moment that he's in trouble. And uh, he would then contract a disease a flesh-eating disease where worms eat you from the inside out. How fun is that? Notice how Luke describes it. Remember, Luke's a physician, right? Luke's a physician and goes into great detail. And he says that once an angel of the Lord struck him, verse 23, because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, when you read that and you read through it, you don't quite pick this up, but it does not say that he died and was eaten by worms. You notice that? It says he was eaten by worms, then he died. So according to Josephus' account, Luke gets this right. 
that he gets this flesh-eating disease and he's eaten from the inside out, eaten by worms because he did not give God the glory. Can we all just say this morning, God, you deserve the glory? (laughs) Thank you very much, God. You deserve the glory. I don't want to be eaten by worms. Eaten by worms because he did not give the glory. Well, he's essentially saved the day for for Tyre and Sidon. That's what he did. And and he's like taking the credit for it, right? Here's this king and he comes out in these royal robes and he wants everybody to know who he is because he's an arrogant man. And he wants to say, I fed you, I gave you food, I opened the lanes back up so that you can eat. Now you give me the worship. I did that, Herod. Can you imagine Herod saying this statement? God did not do that. Faith did not do that. Destiny did not do that. Herod did that. Put some things into a little bit of perspective. It was all Herod. He was taking all the credit. And he was basically, his mindset was, God, you've done none of it. I'm in charge here. Look at Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Yeah, can you imagine the voice of God telling you that to your face? I'm the Lord. That is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 48, 11. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Deuteronomy 4, 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Here's King Herod in his bright shimmering robes and he's placed himself on this pedestal and he's elevated himself above the God of glory and he begins to believe the accolades that the people are shouting out. As a matter of fact, he falls in love with it. It's the voice of a God and not of a man. It's the voice of a God and not of a man. Oh, Herod the merciful. Oh, Herod the gracious. Herod, you're so great. And he gets puffed up with pride and he starts believing it all. He starts believing, hey, I've done this. He soaks it all up instead of quieting the crowd and saying, no, 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 no. Glory belongs to God alone because he is worthy. He doesn't do that. He soaks it all up. Instead, he has replaced God with his own image and yearns for the credit and the glory that the people are giving him. In that moment, Herod basically said, there's no need for a God when you have me. Would you agree? That's basically what Herod's saying. These people love me. These people love what I have done. There's no need for a God when you have me. Church, hear me when I say that the day of Nietzsche's madman has arrived. The day of Nietzsche's madman has arrived. Look at the world leaders we have and look at the celebrities and their ambition for fame and fortune. Look at the sciences and their attempt to discredit biblical history and push the agenda of Darwinian evolution with no evidence to back it. It's because the world and its kind have killed God and are attempting to take its place. Why do we need a God when we've got it all figured out? How many Herods can we identify by just watching the news every day? Every president of every nation, including our own, credits themselves for their accomplishments and receive for themselves accolades and glory that is not owed to them, but is owed to God Almighty. You know, I hate politics. I'm just going to be honest with you right now. I don't care if you're conservative. I don't care if you're liberal. They just seem like a bunch of cheesy salesmen to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When any politician tries to influence me of anything, all I see is like this. If you get a car right now, I'm going to give you some bubble gum and a lollipop and you're going to walk away with this free toaster. Like, wait a second. Somebody had to pay for that toaster. (laughs) And as we try to navigate our way through this world and everything in it, We must understand that we need to look to no one but God for the answers and the solutions to our problems. 
We need to look to no one but God for the answers and solutions for the problems this world bring about. Because he deserves the glory. When we look to anyone other than God for solutions to this life, we've killed the need for God and replaced him with our own idols. I'm going to read that again. When we look to anyone other than God for solutions in this life, we have killed the need for God and replaced him with our own idols. Herod did not honor God, and Herod chose to rob God of the glory he rightfully deserved, and God judged him for it. God judged him for it. Look at Deuteronomy 32. Is it not stored up with me, sealed up in my vaults? Vengeance and retribution belong to me. In their foot, uh, in time, their foot will slip, for their day of disaster is near, and their doom is coming quickly. Church, let us take caution in who we hold in high regard. Let us take caution in who we hold in high regard. You may love me, but don't place me in that high regard because the glory belongs to God. Amen? You may love Daniel, but don't place him in that high regard because the glory belongs to God. And we need to be careful with who we allow to influence our lives and who we're putting on a pedestal as Savior in our world. Because we already have a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ, and he deserves the glory. But we look to worldly men and women who are leaders, and we say, they're going to fix it all. They're, they're going to make things better. When there's already somebody who's fixed what we need to be fixed, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Let us, let us take caution and not place man in the place of God for the answers and the problems of this world. And we may even look around us and say, well, you know, we're the church. We're the church. We don't have those problems. We know who God is. We know what he's about. You know, although we pray that that be the case, statistics actually show a different story, a different idea. Not everybody in the church knows about God and who he actually is. A Pew research shows that 69% of professing American Christians believe that other religions can lead to eternal life. 69% of professing Christians will tell you that Hinduism leads to heaven, that Buddhism leads to heaven, that Islam leads to heaven. 69%. When it comes to Americans with evangelical beliefs, 44% agree that the Bible's condemnation of homosexuality behavior doesn't apply today. Now, please hear me. Please hear me. I'm not saying we should not be trying to reach homosexuals because they are made in the image of God and God loves them. But there's this idea that the act of homosexuality is not a bad thing. And 44% of Christians would agree with you on that. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a homosexual. I don't care if you're cheating on your wife. I don't care if you're in polygamy. It's all the same. And God condemns it. But 44% say, no, eh, maybe not. 53% of evangelical millennials now agree that the Bible contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but it's not literally true. 53%, that's more than half. There is a danger, there is a big danger when we come to the table and we say, I, you know, yeah, sure, God, you know, says this, but I have a better way. What are we doing there? In essence, we are saying to ourselves, I don't need this God because I can make a God all of my own. And I can make a God that says it's okay to do this. And I can make a God that says it's okay to do that. And I can make a God who doesn't see my sin as bad so that way I can continue in it. And that's the exact same thing that Herod is doing here if we haven't connected the dots yet. Herod is coming and Herod is saying, there's no need for a God. The people love me. Why would it not be okay for me to receive this honor even though I've done it? I supplied them food. 
And in our heads, when we as Christians say, it's okay for me to continue living in this sin because God loves me, it's all right. We are making ourselves judge of our own life and, and, and we don't see anything wrong with what we do. There's a danger in that because God is the only judge and his word has already placed the statutes and the laws that we need to follow and they are immovable. We don't get to make the rules. God made the rules. We don't get to make the laws anymore because God made the laws. Do you know why it's wrong to kill people? Because God said so. Do you know why it's wrong to lie to other people? Because God said so. Do you know why it's wrong to commit adultery? Because God said so. Not because this culture has defined it as such, because culture can be wrong. So Nietzsche said this, is not the greatest of deed too great for us must we ourselves not become God simply to appear worthy of it? As Nietzsche saying, God is dead and we have killed him. And how do we carry the weight of what that means? How do we carry the depth and the weight of what that comes with? He says, we pretty much have to become gods ourselves. And this is the mindset. This is the mindset that comes from I have it all under control. I understand everything and I need no other influence from God. That same mindset got Herod killed and eaten by worms. So I just want to point out two dangers, two dangers of robbing God of his rightful glory and then we'll be done. Number one, when we remove the need for God, we are then responsible for the outcome. When we remove the need for God, we are responsible then for the outcome. As the people shouted for Herod, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. Did they realize the impact of the statement and what it actually means? If we replace God with our own understanding and abilities, we fall short. You think those people really wanted Herod to be their God? Herod was a vile man. Think on that. Just because Herod had a couple of things figured out doesn't mean that he was right. If we replace God with our own understanding and abilities, we fall short. G.K. Chesterton said this, the tragedy of disbelieving in God is not that a person ends up believing in nothing, Alas, it is much worse. A person may end up believing in anything. If we have replaced God, just like Nietzsche said, we've killed God and he's dead to us. We've got to replace him with something because we don't have the ability to do what God does. Nobody does. Nobody, nobody has the framework in their minds or the discernment to come up with the things that God has come up with. It sounds very comforting to say things like just let people love who they want to love or believe in whatever makes you happy or your truth is right no matter who says what. It sounds really comforting. However, do we understand the ramifications of what comes with those statements? That when we're left with our own subjective morality, when we're left with our own subjective morality, anything goes. Think on that for a second. Put your thinking hats on there. If we are allowed to come up with our own morality, come up with our own truths, come up with what we think is right, anything goes. Anything goes, okay? If there's no structure or statutes or moral law, then who are we to judge the people who take things to the extreme? If we're going to make up our own rules and people want to take that to the extreme, who are we to judge them without a God? Who are we to judge pedophiles when they just want to love who they want to love? Who are we to judge someone who believes strongly that hurting other innocent people is what makes them happy? Did you know serial killers get a joy out of killing people and they get a high out of it? And if we're just supposed to allow people to do whatever makes them happy, how does that work when it affects other people? How does that work? If God is dead and we have killed him, then we must carry the weight of everything that God has put in place for our own safety. 
hear me now, if we get to have that chore, if we get to have that weight, then we're going to mess it up and we're going to mess it up bad. Okay? Because we didn't create us, God created us. God created us and he knows us and he knows why he's put certain laws and statutes in place. It's to keep us safe from each other and it's to glorify him above all else. And just with the corny little joke like the get your own dirt, if I want to make my own morals, where do I get them from? Because if I want to do without God, I can't steal his morals. He made those. God made the morals of you shouldn't murder. God made the morals of you shouldn't commit adultery. God made those morals and those are his. I read about this uh, society that had opened up in, I don't remember where it was, Germany, Stockholm, somewhere like that. And there was this guy who owned this big piece of land. And, uh, and this is a true story. I'll find the reference for you if, you if you want me to. And I read it and he said that... Um, that he owned this big piece of land and he wanted people to live in harmony and, and just to you know, be without rules, to be without structure. He didn't want anybody telling anybody what to do. And so he opened it up. He said, if you come live on this property, nobody's going to tell you not to. Nobody's going to tell you any rules. And so you, you pretty much had a bunch of hippies out there, you know, like with campfires and tents and, the, you know, living life and nobody to tell them anything. They did whatever drugs they wanted to and nobody said anything. But later, as this thing, you know, started rolling, like three years later, there became all these reports of child molestation and rape. And there was predators coming to this place to do whatever they wanted to do because there was no law to stop them. How does that work? How does it work if we want to remove God from everything, but we want to keep the certain things that are not good? We don't get you. Does that make sense? That Nietzsche's madman was saying, hey, we've killed God and he is dead to us, but we now bear the weight of what that comes with, right? How did we drink up the sea, he says. How is, how is it going to work with this vast issue that now we have to find meaning and purpose and destiny without God? Without the structure of God, you cannot have those three things. And Nietzsche knew and understood that. And if anything goes, you can throw meaning and destiny out the window. If anything goes, you can throw meaning and destiny out the window. Why be good if you end up dying and nothing happens? You ever thought about that? If, if an atheist doesn't want to believe in God, fine. But then they don't want to believe in God's morals and statutes, okay. But then you back that up a little further and why should I be good for anyone if it doesn't matter at the end? If I die and that's all that happens to me and you die and that's all that happens to you and you live a life where you're just, you know, in harmony with everybody and I live a life where I'm killing people, what difference does it make? They can't answer that question, by the way. That's one of the hardest questions that atheists have to answer when it comes to apologetics is, so why be good? The structure had to come from somewhere. Take God out of the equation and you're left to answer the big three questions all by yourself. Where did I come from? Why are we here? And what happens after this life? Answer those without God. Answer those without the structure of God. Mankind likes to play God but falls short on answering the most profound and important questions of all time. And can I clue you in on a little bit? God already answered all those for us. God gives us the where we came from. God gives us the why we're here. And God definitely gives us the where we're going. We've got the answers. But it's because we have God in a structure. We didn't come up with those answers on our own. Nobody can. Psalm 19, 7 and 8 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Listen, God's already figured it out. Wow. Why do we feel the need to remove him to go any further? But that's what happens. If we remove God from the place he rightly deserves to be, then we have to bear the weight of everything that comes with that. Number two, 
God deserves the glory because he is worthy and we are not. God deserves the glory because he is worthy and we are not. Look at what verse 23 says in Acts 12. At once, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God. When we, when we give ourselves the glory and we remove the glory from God who rightly deserves it, then we judge ourselves in the actions that we've just committed. We don't need anybody else to judge us. We've already judged ourselves, just like Herod. When we remove God from the place that he rightfully deserves to be, we then have judged ourselves. And we, as mankind, are not worthy to be praised. We, as mankind, are not worthy to be praised. We are wretched, we are sinners, and we look out for ourselves above everybody else. That's the truth. Jesus said sin comes from within the heart. Meaning, Satan didn't have to tempt you to place that sin in there. He brought it out of you. It's already in there. We're wretched, we're sinners, and we look after our own self rather than others. And God is completely the opposite. He is holy, he is without sin, and he has sacrificed everything for those who will never love him back. He deserves the glory because he alone is worthy. We don't have the capability to be worthy without Jesus Christ. We don't have the capability to be righteous, meaning to be in the right standing of God without Jesus Christ because we're sinners, because we're wretched, and because we can't do it for ourselves. So we don't deserve any of the glory. We're not worthy enough. Look at Revelation 4.11. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. He created and so he gets to call the shots. He is worthy. We're not worthy. We as the creation cannot take glory for something that we did not create. I can't run everything on my smartphone and be the best at it and claim that, you know, this now is, is, is my, was my invention if I didn't invent it, right? I may have figured things out on it, but the person who invented it gets the credit. Do you agree? Or to use whatever scenario you want to. The creator is the one who deserves the credit because they're the ones that created it. They thought it all up before you got to figure it out. And that's the same thing with God. God thought it, thought it all up before these philosophers were sitting around a rock saying, you know, I think there's more to life than this. You know, I think there's something deeper in meaning and purpose. But God had already figured it all out. It was just a creation that was catching up with it. And so we don't deserve the credit. We didn't invent it. God invented it. Look at Romans 1. I'm going to read a little bit, but it's fascinating what Paul says. Romans 1, 18 through 25. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Let me stop right there real quick. Do you get what he's saying here? That God created the world and everything in it. And just like Daniel showed us the other week of those mountains in Tennessee and the beautiful landscape that they're looking at, we've been given that as evidence to there's something bigger than us that designed this whole place. And Paul says we are without excuse because of it. We cannot get to heaven and say, God, yeah, I really didn't see anything that gave me purpose for you because he's already put us right smack in the middle of it. 21, for though they, know, they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts 
to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Paul, in like seven verses, just laid out the entire idea that we don't have it figured out because we didn't create ourselves. And he says, to go on and to think that you are wise, you become foolish. When we've gained so much wisdom that we think we have it all figured out, and now we no longer have a need for God, Paul says that that is a dangerous place to be because there will come a point where God says, I'm going to let you have your way. I'm going to give you what you want and allow you to die in that situation. That's terrible. That's a terrible thought that these people who are out here, celebrities and world leaders and people who influence us are out here saying they have it figured out. We just do this and we just got to do that. And we need no structure. We need no religion to tell us how to live. And God is going to say, you can have what you want because I've already given you the evidence that what you want should not be. What a dangerous place to be for God to say, I'm going to give you what you want and then you're going to suffer because of it. That's very dangerous. But let me close with this. And this is the best part. Even though things can seem hopeless in this wretched world we're living in, the mission of God remains. The mission of God remains. Love God, love others, and make disciples. You notice how when we read the Bible, God doesn't give us any other charge than that. He doesn't tell us to fix this world. He doesn't tell us to fix everybody's problems. He says, you love God, you love people, and you make disciples. Because that has been the mission since day one. Look at the end of chapter 12, uh, well, not the end of chapter 12, but the end of our text, verse 24 but the word of God spread and multiplied. Think on that for a second. Is it up there? Did I, put, did I not put that in there? <laughs> Sorry. The word of God spread and multiplied. You have Herod here who's killed James. You have Herod who tried to kill Peter. You have the church under persecution and Herod lifting himself up and the people, the crowds chanting that he's a God and not a man and God strikes him down and the people are left without meaning and without hope. But the word of God, it says, the word of God spread and multiplied. Church, can I tell you this morning, the word of God spread and multiplied is us today, 2020. 2020, as things are going awry, as COVID is in an outbreak, as people are burning cities down and we don't know what to do, the word of God continues and it multiplies. If you and I are doing the job that we have been called to do, to love God, to love others and make disciples, it will happen despite what this world is going through. And can I just say, just now we're getting a glimpse of it as Americans. Just now, all over the world, this has been happening for the past few centuries, all over the world. Nietzsche's own writings to do away with God would eventually lead to Hitler's idea that evolution was the right idea and survival of the fittest was the right idea and that there was one supreme being that if they could outlast everybody, they would be powerful. Six million Jews died because of it. And so when we start to think that there's this little idea that, well, maybe God's not right about this. And then this other little idea, well, yeah, I like this part that God says, but not so much just because I want to do that. We are in danger of a very slippery slope that gets all the way down to no faith at all because we've questioned everything we know to be true. I'm not saying don't have questions. My degree is in apologetics and I have all kinds of questions. But the fact of the matter is, all of my questions have already been answered. And the ones that don't get to get answered, I don't need to know the answers to. 
But trust me, people look like idiots when they say they have the answer to them all. They, they do, because they fall into these big theological holes that they don't know how to get themselves out of. The word of God spread and multiplied. Can I just encourage you this morning that in this world that we're going through all this darkness and chaos to spread the word of God and let it multiply. Don't be a Facebook warrior. Don't be a social media justice, you know, what is it, justice bearer. Be a gospel sinner disciple maker. Be a light into this dark world and show people have the answer. And we have the answer above all. That should encourage us. That should encourage us that as this world is falling apart, we have the answer. We can help them. And we must not stay silent about it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, God, and we know that we don't have it all figured out. We know, God, that there are issues in our world that there are things in our world that we cannot explain. But God, I pray this morning that we would not commit the error of robbing you of the glory that you so rightly deserve. That we would be brave enough to understand that when we trust in you, you have things all figured out. I thank you this morning for this congregation, God, that as they've committed themselves to come here and to gather before you and to, and to worship you and to hear your word, God, that we would be charged with the mission that you have left always to love you, to love others, and to make disciples. And God, that, we, that that would resound above everything else going on. I pray that you would give us the courage to do that, Father. I pray this morning that if there's anybody in here who does not have a personal relationship with you, God, or has not surrendered their lives to you, Father, that they would understand that you have the answer to the big three, that you created them, you know where they came from, you know why they're here and a purpose to live for you, God, and you know where they're going. We thank you for who you are, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.